Praise God. I've been sharing uh, a lot of things. Basically, the first two sessions have been just trying to get this across that this is the goal of salvation is knowing God. It's not getting your sins forgiven so that you can go to heaven. That's a tremendous perk. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what? The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins so that he could bring us into eternal life or everlasting life. In John 17, 3, Jesus said eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. And I've just been saying this every way that I possibly can, that this ought to be the goal of every Christian. And it's not only the goal of Christianity, but it's what God wants. God saved us, not because He just pitied us and did it out of a sense of obligation. He did it because He passionately loves every one of us. Some of you don't love yourself, but you know what? God loves you. And God wants relationship with you. The Lord is desiring this. And this has to be the goal of Christianity. And when you get to where knowing God becomes a reality in your life, it just solves nearly all problems. In the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalms chapter 16 verse 11. And there are just so many things that happen. Your whole life changes. Your whole value systems change. You don't worry about things. You aren't bothered about things. You're healthier. Everything in your life changes when you really put knowing God at the center of your life. So that's what we've been talking about. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what I want to do tonight is to share with you what I consider to be the number one hindrance in us really knowing God. And I'm using knowing here, not just knowing about God, but I'm talking about experiencing God on a basis to where we talk to Him. He talks to us. We feel His pleasure. We have His guidance and His leadership. You know, there's so many promises. I'm nearly hesitant to start trying to point out one because there's so many. But in John chapter 10, He says, My sheep hear my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Man, that is a tremendous promise. And yet, if I was just to take a survey of the people right here in this room, and again, this isn't your nod to God crowd, amen. This is the serious people that are out here on Friday night at a convention center to hear somebody talk about the Lord. You guys are fanatics or drug here by fanatic. And yet, out of this group of people right here, I can guarantee you there's a lot of people that you hear the devil just fine. But the voice of the Father, it's hard. That is more common among Christians than it is to say that you hear the voice of the Father and the voice of a stranger you cannot follow. Matter of fact, I was talking to one man tonight who wanted me to pray with him. And I said, well, you know, listen to this message and then come up later and we'll pray with you. But the whole deal was that he sees demons and hears voices and does all of these things. And he's really tuned in to all of the negatives, but not the positives. That ought to be totally outside of the norm for a Christian. And yet, it is the experience of far too many people because we don't have the intimate relationship with God. This isn't what Christianity is presenting. They're saying, believe on Jesus and get saved so you won't go to hell. And so that's what people have faith for. And they're believing that in the sweet by and by, it'll be wonderful. But in the rough now and now, they're struggling. Amen. And so we need to start experiencing God. And here is the Apostle Paul 
saying some profound things. I wish I had time to go through all of these verses, but I'm going to say some things very quickly. I'd encourage you to go study 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5, and, and 6. But let me just start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 16. He says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction... Boy, this is a radical statement. He says it's just light affliction. How many people in here have a rough road to hoe? You have a heavy burden. Oh, it's been terrible. And I have people come to me all of the time and just, you just, nobody knows the trouble I feel. Nobody knows my sorrow. Paul, who had more problems than you ever thought about having, said it's just light affliction. Now, if Paul had more problems and yet in his perception it was only a light affliction, then you got no justification to come up talking about how bad your life is. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) Most people don't like that. You know, we, we take a lot of satisfaction in having other people pity us and You know, there's a lot of churches you go to that you tell them how bad things are and what you want is somebody to hug you and say, oh, I know it's tough. I know it's tough. We're all struggling. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not insensitive to the fact that people suffer and have problems, but you know what? Jesus is the answer to everything and I don't believe there's a single thing going on in anybody's life that a good dose of the Holy Ghost wouldn't cure you. Amen. And so I can have compassion on you, but I'm not going to sit there and validate your thing and say it really is bad. You know, we were at a minister's conference one time. I know that Wendell and Linda remember this, but we were at a minister's conference and these ministers came up. And this friend of mine, Dave Duell, was, um, he called people forward. And this couple, you didn't have to have the gift of discernment to tell that they were discouraged. It was very obvious. And they were just sitting there and they were crying and it was so bad. And they were wanting somebody to just put their arm around them and, oh, we know it's tough serving God. Oh, you know. And and anyway, Dave goes up and he says, Thus saith the Lord, my little children, don't feel bad. If I wasn't God, I'd be discouraged too. (laughs) He was kind of making fun of that situation. And you know what? It didn't, it wasn't received very well, but I thought it was hilarious. I nearly fell out of my chair laughing. That's what most people want. They want you to come up and say, oh, you know what? If, it was, if, if God wasn't God, he'd be discouraged too. Well, Paul had worse problems than you ever thought about. If you don't think so, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read his list of his light afflictions. Being stoned and left for dead and beaten with rods and beaten with whips and shipwrecked and imprisoned and all of these kind of things. And he says it's just light affliction. Now, how could he have bigger problems than what we have and yet it'd still be just a light affliction? He gives you two answers right here. He says, first of all, it's only for a moment. He put it into the light of eternity. The second thing he says, we don't look at the things which are seen, but we look at things that are not seen. That's in verse 18. Did you know if you look just with your physical eyes at what's going on in your physical body, in your relationships, in this physical world, if all you do are listening to the news and reading the newspapers, and if that's what you are focused on, something is wrong with you if you aren't depressed. We live in a fallen world. Man, there is mayhem. 
There's terrible things going on. We had one of our directors or one of the people working in our Bible college, a little two-month, five-month-old baby died today. There's bad things that are going on. You know what? There's things that are happening to people. It's depressing if all you do is look with your physical eyes. But you know what? There's another world out there. And there is an eternity that we're going to be spending with God that right now we are either making uh, problems for ourselves that we will suffer with throughout all eternity or we are doing exploits that we're going to be rejoicing and praising God and reaping rewards for what we're doing. There is more to it than just this physical realm. And so if you look at things, and if you aren't just looking at the things which are seen, but if you're looking at the things that are not seen, you know what? Life is awesome. We have the opportunity of being a channel for God to flow through and change people's lives and touch people. You know, one of the reasons I stand here and visit with people, I've had so many people this week comment about, I can't believe that you're out here talking to people. And you know what? I love it. There are times that some people impose on you and stuff like that. But you know, most of the time, most people, I just get told a hundred times during one of these meetings that, you know, God's used you to change my life. God has touched my life. And you know what? It's a blessing. I'm looking not only at the, at the uh, effort that's involved in preaching the gospel, but I'm seeing that lives are being changed. I'm going to be rejoicing for all eternity. And you know what? When you take the spiritual things into account, man, it's awesome serving God. There's a lot of benefit. So this is what Paul is saying. One of the reasons that he was able to just go through whatever problems came his way was because he wasn't just looking at physical things. He was looking at the unseen realm. And then in chapter 5, he begins to start saying, because we know that if this physical body was to die, we have another body, a glorified body. We are going to live forever in eternity. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. See, he had a different mindset. As long as he felt comfortable in just his human flesh, then he says, you know what, I'm not really in relationship with God the way I should be. He says, I'm so much in the Spirit, I'm so much relying upon God, I'm so focused on what God has got that actually I'm uncomfortable staying here in this physical flesh. And I'm not going to take time to read this, but this is what he's saying. He says, we long to be clothed upon with our body which is from heaven. The Apostle Paul expounded on this in Philippians chapter 1, and he says, man, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I have to use my faith to stay here on this earth because I know it's needful for other people. You know what? That's being God conscious. That's looking in spiritual things. It takes faith. In the very next verse, after he said this, in the very next verse, verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul was seeing the unseen. Paul wasn't just dominated by what he could see. He was living more in the spirit realm. He was going more by the revelation that God had given. He was walking by faith. And he said, this is the way Christianity is. We walk by faith and not by sight. Let me just say to you, and I'm not saying this to hurt anybody. I'm saying it to point, make a point, and we're going to go on from there and share some things with you that will help you. But most people today walk by sight and not by faith. Most of us are ill at ease in faith. The Bible says that just live by faith. Most of us just visit there every once in a while. We take a vacation in faith every once in a while, but we don't live there. That's not our dwelling place. This says that the just live by faith. And then the next verse says, 
we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He was so spiritually minded, so God minded that being in this body in a sense was a negative. He was longing for being the freedom that he would experience when he got his glorified body. And he was living in that realm and he was staying in this physical body just because it was necessary to be able to minister to people. Boy, that's God conscious. And that's what he's talking about in all of these verses. So that, I'm going to skip on down to verse um, 16. And I want you to look at this. This is amazing. And I'm going to focus on this tonight. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. The Apostle Paul is saying he, he is thinking in the spiritual realm. He's dealing with things in the unseen realm. He's not looking at things that are seen, but he's looking at things that are not seen. And he's been using all of these examples. And now he comes down to the point that he says, I don't know any man after the flesh. You know what he's saying here is, I don't relate to people based on what they look like. Whether they look beautiful, I don't give them better treatment. If they look bad, they, I don't give them worse treatment. He says, I'm not dealing with people on what they look like, on the flesh. I don't know any man after the flesh. What a radical statement. You know, if we were to just take that one part of that verse right there, this would eliminate prejudice. This would eliminate so many things that are going on in our world today because we judge people based on the color of their skin or whether they're dressed fancy or whether they look proper or how they smell or... You know, if they have a physical deformity or something like that and we treat people differently. Paul said, we don't know any person after the flesh. Well, what a tremendous statement. What a goal to set and to obtain to that where we get to where we know people after the spirit. And you know, this cuts both ways. Because some of the people that we really idolize and that we... We want to be like them, people that are rich and famous. If you were to know them after the Spirit, you would be appalled at how rotten and how vile they are. I tell you what, it would change a lot of things. We wouldn't look down our nose and criticize some people based on physical things. And there's other people that we wouldn't exalt if we were to really know them after the Spirit and who they are. It would, it would change our world. Our world would be a different place if people lived by what Paul's talking about right here. And notice also he says um, in verse 16, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Now there is no scripture that records Paul knowing Jesus in his physical body when he was here on this earth. Uh, but he said right here, that we have known Christ after the flesh. Either he was using this as a statement for a lot of people who were alive at that time and speaking vicariously for them, or probably, I believe, that since he was in Jerusalem and he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, that he probably saw Jesus. He was probably in some you know, mass of people that saw Jesus and maybe even heard Jesus preach. He was still a Pharisee at the time and he was antagonistic and, and persecuting the Christians. But it's possible that he saw Jesus. And I think personally this is what he's referring to. He probably had seen Jesus. He probably could have told you what he looked like. He recognized him. He knew him as far as just the physical things. 
And he says, at one time we knew Jesus that way, but we don't know him after the flesh anymore. And like I said, there isn't an example of Paul knowing him after the flesh, but there is an example of one of the disciples, the apostle John. Let me share this with you out of uh, John chapter 13. Look at this verse. In John chapter 13, this is at the Last Supper when they were having communion right before Jesus was crucified and they were eating communion together. And they didn't have tables and chairs the way that we've got. They had very low tables and they would recline on pillows and things like this and kind of lay down on their side is the way that they would sit around a table and eat. And, it's, and as Jesus was eating the Last Supper with his uh, 12 disciples... It says here in John 13, 23, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, which is talking about the Apostle John. Here's the Apostle John actually leaning over against Jesus, had his head on his chest or on his shoulder and leaning on him. This shows a familiarity. It, shows, it says a lot of things about God. It shows how that Jesus loved his disciples. You can read this in the 17th chapter of John when he was praying. He says, Father, I've loved them. I have kept them. I have done everything that you've told me to do. Jesus loved his disciples. And there was such a relationship that John had his head on Jesus' bosom. Well, that's quite a picture. Now look at this over in Revelation chapter 1. This is the same apostle and the same Jesus. He was on the island of Patmos and all of a sudden he heard this voice behind him and he turned around to see the voice. And in verse uh, 12, it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Boy, get a picture of this. He looked at him, and his hair was just totally white. His eyes were like looking at a flame of fire. That's hard to imagine exactly what this is talking about, but it must have been awesome to see. His feet were like brass that was burning in a fire. And there was a sword coming out of his mouth. You find out later in the book of Revelation that this sword that comes out of his mouth kills his enemies to the point that the blood flows for over 23 miles as high as a horse's bridle, up to three or four feet deep for 23 miles. What must have this have been like to see this sword coming out of his mouth and it says his countenance was as bright as looking at the sun. You know, right back here where these lights are, I can't even look at the lights and see the people under them because it's too bright. It just nearly blinds you. Imagine what it would be like to have the sun standing right there. What would this be like? And how did John respond in verse 17? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Do you know this is the same Jesus that he had his head leaning on his bosom? Some people think, oh, no, Jesus changed. Jesus didn't change. On the inside, he was identical when he was there having the last supper with his disciples. The only thing was that that flesh 
was like a curtain or a veil that kept the real God that indwelt the body of Jesus from being manifest. It looked physical. It was natural. God put himself into human form and he was so human that the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 52 that there was no beauty in him that we should desire. There was nothing in him that looked beautiful. Jesus was just totally ordinary. He was common. And because of this, his disciples at one time knew him after the flesh. And because of this, he could put his head over on Jesus' shoulder and not think a thing about it. But once Jesus was glorified and he was now in his glorified body and radiating the glory and the power of God, the same man fell at his feet as dead. Jesus hadn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He just now had a glorified body that didn't conceal and hide his true self. And this is what Paul is referring to. He says, at one time, we only knew Jesus after the flesh. You know, his disciples, they knew Jesus at one time based on what he looked like, how tall he was, maybe the color of his hair, his facial features, maybe the sound of his voice and things like that. They could have told you these physical things, but they didn't know who he was in the spirit. In the 14th chapter of John, the night before his crucifixion, he was telling his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says, well, show us the Father. He just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Oh, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. He was saying, I'm not satisfied with you, but if we could see the Father, we'd be satisfied. You know why they weren't satisfied with Jesus? Because they only knew him after the flesh. They were looking at his humanity side. And they weren't impressed with that. But if they could have known him by the Spirit, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Jesus was just as much God as God the Father was. All of the glory and the power of God was in Jesus. On the Mount of uh, Transfiguration, 17th chapter of the book of um, Luke, I believe it is, um, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And during that period of time when he was in communion with his Father, it's like he just pulled the veil over his spirit back. And for a moment, he radiated light and glory began to shine out of him. And the glory cloud of God came over him and an audible voice came. And Moses and Elijah started talking with him about the crucifixion that he was going to be experiencing. And for a, they saw this and it says that he radiated light. Not like Moses who reflected light like a moon. He was the source of the light. He was the glory of God. It's like all of a sudden, since he was in the presence of his father, he just pulled back his flesh and began to worship God spirit to spirit. He was that way the entire time he walked on this earth. As a little baby, that little baby that was born was the glory of God inside of him. This same God that had flame of eyes like flaming fire and his feet burning his brass and the brightness of his countenance, all these things, that was contained inside that little body. Boy, this is an amazing thing. It's amazing that God could ever squeeze himself inside of a physical body. It's amazing. It's amazing that he would even do it, even if he could do it. 
And yet, people missed who Jesus was because of his humanity. You know, sometimes we think, if I could have been one of the disciples of Jesus, oh man, I'd have known him. You know what? It would have been hard to know Jesus. Know him who he really was. Because you had that physical body standing in between you and who Jesus really was. And the tendency would have been for us to go by our senses and to go by what we see. And this may offend some of you. I know that the first time I I saw these things, it really bothered me. I saw a film called The Gospel Road by Johnny Cash. And he showed Jesus, you know, a person acting out Jesus. And first of all, the person acting like Jesus was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed hippie with long hair. And, you know, Jesus wasn't blonde hair and blue-eyed. I think that what they did, they didn't even try and capture what he really looked like. They were just trying to you know, portray him in mannerisms and things like that. So they they didn't care about the person. And anyway, so I was offended by that. And then they showed uh, Jesus going up on the Mount of uh, Temptation. And he was up there being tempted. And after he got through, he came down. Of course, he was wearing a robe in this movie. And he was going down. And finally, he got to a real steep place. And he just sat on his rear and scooted down the hill. And his robe came up and... He stood up and dusted his rear off. And when that happened, I just was like this. Like I, oh God, this is so sacrilegious. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, how do you think I got down off that mountain? You think I just floated from rock to rock? You know, Jesus was in a physical body and he had to sit down and he got dirty. It showed Jesus being dirty. His hair was messed up. You know, Jesus didn't have the ability to stay in a nice room the way we've got. He didn't carry clothes with him. He didn't change clothes every day. Some of you have never been outside of the United States, but you still go over to the Middle East, and I guarantee you, you can smell most people coming before you ever see them. We are some of the only people on the face of the earth that take a shower every day. You get on, I guarantee you, in Poland, I've been on a bus in the summer when everybody's holding on to these things and a hundred people in a 30-passenger bus, and I tell you what, it's exciting. (laughs) And you know what? Jesus, Jesus smelled. Jesus' hair was messed up. He didn't have shampoo and fix his hair every day. He didn't have a blow dryer. Jesus had bad hair days. Jesus' clothes were dirty. These disciples had to see Jesus go into the bathroom. You know, that's hard to picture that this is God. He got tired. He got hungry. You know what? That physical body of Jesus would have been such a hindrance from knowing who he really was. He was so human. He was sinless, but he was so human that it would have been hard to look at him and say, you are the Christ. Again, there's many of us think, oh, it would have been great. No, it would have been hard. And this is what Paul is referring to. At one time, we knew Jesus after the flesh, but we don't know him that way anymore. And this is the reason that most of us are missing who Jesus really is, is because we are so physical, carnal-oriented We are wanting to feel Him tangibly. We are wanting something after the flesh, a physical sensation, a goose bump up and down our spine. We want to see a vision. We want to have a tingle. We want to feel the anointing of God. And those things are a big hindrance to knowing God. 
If you are physical, carnally minded, the Bible says in Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death. And brothers and sisters, this is where most of us are. God is with us constantly, but we don't perceive it because we are trying to perceive Him in some physical, natural realm instead of knowing Him by the Spirit. Turn over to the 24th chapter of the book of Luke and look at this. This is on resurrection day, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 13, it says, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs, which is seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Now these are two of Jesus' disciples. And later in this chapter, you see them going back to the 11 apostles. If they weren't one of the 11 apostles, they were certainly some of the close inner circle of Jesus' uh, friends. And, and you can see that in this account. And so they knew Jesus after the flesh. They had seen him. They, they could tell his mannerisms. They could tell you what his voice sounded like. They knew Jesus in the physical realm. But here's Jesus risen from the dead walking with them and they didn't recognize him. This is amazing. They were even talking about Jesus. They were talking about the reports that Jesus had risen from the dead. People were saying that. And they were talking about this. And they didn't even recognize Jesus. This is amazing. And notice in this um, 16th verse, it says, Their eyes were holden that they should not know him. You know, this word holden, if you look it up in the Greek, it means that they were, they were seized, captivated. In other words, their mind, their attention was so focused on the physical, natural things that they weren't even perceiving who was with them. Jesus, the one that if they would have known that Jesus was the one with them, it would have ended all of the discussion the questions would have been over. Instead of there being sadness, there would have been joy. Man, it would have been awesome. This would have been some of the very first people to see Jesus raised from the dead. And he was with them and walked with them for about two hours and they didn't even know who was with them. Let me just suggest that, you know what, Jesus is with every one of us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. If you knew who was with you and if you could perceive that he was with you, there would be no such thing as discouragement. There would be no such thing as fear. There wouldn't be bitterness. You wouldn't be lonely. Faith would go through the roof if you really understood that God Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords is with you all of the time. Man, you wouldn't have fears. You wouldn't be bothered with things. He's always here, but we don't perceive him. Their eyes were holding. Keep your finger here because I'm going to come back. But look in Mark chapter 16 in verse 12. This is the exact same story reported by the gospel writer Mark. And he condenses this whole story to just one verse. In Mark chapter 16, verse 12, it says, After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. Over in Luke, it says that their eyes were holding that they couldn't see him. Here, it says he was in another form. What does this mean? 
The word form here in the Greek means shape or the second definition is uh, nature. You know what? He had changed. He was no longer a physical human body. Now, he still was tangible. Over in the 20th, 20th chapter of the book of John, verse 27, uh, during one of his resurrection appearances, the disciples were thinking, it's a spirit. We aren't seeing the real Jesus. And he says, why do you think it's a spirit? Touch me, handle me, feel a Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones the way that I have. He had physical substance, but it wasn't any longer a physical, natural body. It was a spiritual body. And look at this verse. Man, you got your finger in all these places? Anyway, I'll just tell you where we're going. But over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at this passage. This is the Apostle Paul talking, and he said in verse 9, As it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Some people stop right there and say, Well, you know what? Further along we'll know all about it. Further along we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. We just can't understand. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. We just don't know the things of God. God works in mysterious ways. And they forget. See, this, is, this was an Old Testament statement. And in the Old Testament, it's true to just put a period right there and say, eye hasn't, hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. In the Old Testament, that was true because people weren't born again and they didn't have access to the wisdom of God the way we do in the New Testament. And so he's quoting this Old Testament verse that says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But in verse 10 it says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. This isn't saying that we can't know the things of God. It's just saying with your little peanut brain you can't know the things of God. You can't perceive God with your senses, with your five senses. You know, we have become so educated that we've become fools. We have gotten to where we trust all of our ability to perceive things and we think that, man, we know so much. And if we can't perceive it with our five senses, what we see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, then it doesn't exist. Man, that is just foolish. That's foolish. We are one of the first generations that's ever walked on the face of the earth that didn't realize that there is an intuitive ability to be able to perceive and know things beyond just facts. God created us with six senses, not five. He created us with an intuitive ability, faith that can perceive and see things that you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. You know, right now there's television signals in this room. And if you just went by your five senses, you'd say, no, there isn't. Yes, there are. Just because you can't perceive them doesn't mean that they don't exist. It just means you aren't real smart if you don't believe they're here. They're here, and all I'd have to do is put a television set up here and plug it in, turn it on, tune it in. And when you start seeing and hearing the signal is not when the signal starts. It's already here. That television set doesn't broadcast television signal. It just receives the broadcast and then puts it back in a form that you can see. All it does is take something that's in an unseen realm and put it into a seen realm. But the television set doesn't produce anything. You go turn off all of the television stations and I guarantee you that television set will not broadcast anything. All it's doing is receiving what is already here. And in the same way, there is an unseen world that exists 
And you cannot contact that unseen world with physical, natural terms. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says we knew Christ at one time after the flesh, but now we don't know him after the flesh. We know him in the spirit. We are walking by faith and not by sight. And this is the number one hindrance that most people have against knowing God is that we have become so carnal. We have evolved. I believe in evolution. De-evolution. That we started off much better than what we are. We started off walking with God in a supernatural realm and able to perceive spiritual things. And we have de-evolved to where now, if we can't see it, taste it, hear it, smell it, or feel it, we don't think it exists. And we think we're very smart for doing that. We become fools. There's all kinds of things that you can't see. There's angels in this room. There's demons in this room. There's all kinds of spiritual things going on. There's spiritual dynamics. There are people that are thinking that every problem you've got has an organic reason, a chemical base as why this is happening. And yet Jesus cast demons out of people to affect healings and cures. There are spiritual things going on and yet we become so sophisticated we won't acknowledge it. I tell you what, we're walking by sight and not by faith and we've become fools. You know, I'm talking as fast as I can. I've got a lot to say. So let me just summarize some things very quickly. I'm not going to have you turn over there. But in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were created in God's image. And I believe that they were walking by faith and not by sight. Now, they had their physical eyes open, but they weren't dominated by what they saw and what they heard. Now, this is hard for some people to get. You're going to have to use your brain for something besides a hat rack to follow what I'm saying right here. But this will help you if you'll do it. Their eyes were open, but they weren't dominated by that. They were dominated by what they saw with their heart. They walked by faith. Faith was more real to them than the physical world. And to prove it, the first thing that happened when they sinned, it says that their eyes were opened... And they saw that they were naked. And you know, I've heard people before say, well, before they sinned, they were clothed in the righteousness of God. They had a robe of righteousness. The glory of God overshadowed them or whatever. You can say that for the purpose of uh, making an analogy or some point. But the scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, the last verse, they were both naked the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were but naked before they sinned. They did not have on a robe of righteousness and clothed in something. They were naked. And yet, when they sinned and their eyes were open, this isn't talking about their physical eyes. Their physical eyes were, or excuse me, they were walking by, by their heart. Their physical eyes were open, but they weren't dominated by it. But when they sinned, all of a sudden, they began to start being sense knowledge dominated. They started seeing, and for the first time, now get this, first time they saw that they were naked. They had been naked all along, but they never had paid attention to it. They were so God conscious. They were walking by faith to such a degree that they didn't even realize that they didn't have clothes on. That's God conscious. I believe that if you were walking by faith, you can get into a spiritual realm. And this is what Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
that he doesn't know any man after the flesh. He doesn't even look at your exterior and what color you are and how you dress and things like this, but he knew you spirit to spirit. He knew what was going on in your heart. You can get to where you're so dominated by that that you don't even notice what people are wearing. You don't even pay attention to this kind of stuff. Now let me say this, that if you become so spiritually minded that you don't even pay attention to whether or not you're wearing clothes, just remember that the rest of us aren't that spiritually minded. (laughs) And so please wear clothes, amen. And be modest, cover up as much as you can, praise God. But I'm just saying that Adam and Eve were so God conscious, they didn't even notice that they were naked. And when it says that they walked and talked with Jesus in the cool of the evening... You know, the scripture doesn't explain how that happens. And I can't say, thus saith the Lord, but it's my opinion that they didn't necessarily see him with their physical eyes because he doesn't exist like that. But I believe they saw him with their heart when they heard his voice in the garden. I think that they were walking by faith, that they were hearing him through their heart. You can hear and see things with your heart. You can actually see better with your heart than you can see with your physical eyes. I know some of you think, this is weird. It's only weird because we've de-evolved so far. But if you go back to Scripture, I believe that this is true. You know, we've got Gail down here and Cindy. And I remember that we were holding a meeting in Colorado Springs. And I was sitting, and it was in a format like this where there was an aisle down the middle and I was sitting in that chair right there. And I mean, the presence of God was so powerful. Everybody was just worshiping God. And I had my eyes closed. And all of a sudden, there was a door over here. It was in a hotel room and there were double doors. And I saw in my heart Jesus walk into that room and stand in front of those doors. He opened those doors and walked through and he just stood there. And then that door closed slowly behind him. And I saw Jesus. And I forget if it was Gail or Cindy, but anyway, they were both over here close to where that door was. And as I had my eyes closed and was watching this, Jesus just walked over to him. And I forgot how it happened. I'll just say it the way I remember it. But anyway, uh, he walked over and like it was Cindy first and he just goes up and touches her. And all of a sudden, boom, flat on her face goes Cindy, sprawled out like this, just worshiping God. And then there were some people in between them And he walked past them and then he walked over and touched Gail. And when he touched Gail, Gail just knelt and lifted her hands and started worshiping the Lord. And it was so awesome what I was seeing. It was so real that I opened up my eyes to see what was going on. And when I opened my eyes, I couldn't see Jesus, but I saw that door closing just exactly the way I'd seen it. And then I looked and all of a sudden, here's Cindy, just boom, flat on her face, spread eagle before God. And I watched for a minute and then here's Gail hit her knees and started worshiping God. And you know what? Everything I had seen in my heart, I was seeing with my eyes, except all I could see what was happening was what was happening in the physical. I couldn't see Jesus and it was time delayed. I'd already seen it in the spirit and then it would happen in the physical. And you know what? I actually... I saw the Lord do a lot of other things and touch people. I closed my eyes because I could see better. I could not only see what was happening in the physical, but I could see what was happening in the spiritual. And I don't always live like that, but I really believe that, brothers and sisters, we can get to where we are walking by faith so much that you can see better with your heart. 
Most of us, if Jesus was to walk in here in some physical manifestation, if there was a glory cloud, if there was an audible voice, or the thing that people are going after, you know, is if there's flakes of gold or if there's feathers. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but those are things that the body of Christ has gone through. All of these, if something like that happened, people would just go bananas. I had a woman come to me one time and opened her Bible and she says, see this? And I said, what? She says, see these flakes of gold? And I blew on it and blew them off of her Bible. She just went hysterical. That was the Holy Ghost that put those there. That was the glory of God. And I blew it off of her Bible. There's people that, man, if you have a goosebump, if something tangible was to happen, oh, you would be excited over that. But to have God with you all of the time, day and night, but, but if there's no physical manifestation, if you don't have a feeling, if there isn't any emotion attached to it, well, then it's no good. You're carnal. You're missing God because of that. You are trying to know God after the flesh. But you can see with your spirit. And you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, all of a sudden, their spiritual eyes closed and their physical eyes opened up and they began to start being sense knowledge. They had shame. They saw they were naked. They ran from God. They began to not hear the voice of God anymore. And the opposite of this is true over in 1 Kings chapter uh, 6 where Elisha had been giving away the battle plans of the king of Syria. So the king of Syria sent his armies and surrounded Elisha and his servant. And his servant said, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He saw all of the Syrians surrounding them. And Elisha went out there and said, Don't be afraid. Those that are with us are more than those that be with them. Did you know if all you do is acknowledge the physical realm, if you think that's all that's real is just the physical realm, then Elijah lied. And this is what a lot of people think that faith people do when they say, I'm healed. And anybody can tell by your doctor's report that you're sick. You're just lying. You're one of those name it, claim it, blab it, grab it guys that just think you can say something that isn't true and if you'll say it long enough, it'll become true. Well, you would think so if all you think is real is what the doctor has to say and what you can prove in a test tube. But I'm telling you, there is a spiritual world. There are spiritual realities. There is, I have the anointing of God, the same anointing that raised Jesus from the dead living on the inside of me. And you can't prove that in a test too, but it's true. And see, if you just look at the natural realm, you'd say Elisha lied. And I'm sure that his servant thought he was lying. And so the Lord, so Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open up the young man's eyes. I guarantee you his physical eyes were as big as saucers looking at that situation out there. His physical eyes were open. He wasn't talking about opening the eyes of his physical body, but he was talking about opening up the eyes of his heart. Let him see by faith. Let him perceive what's going on in the spiritual realm. And all of a sudden, when his spiritual eyes were opened up, the Syrians didn't disappear. It's just that all of a sudden there were angels and horses and chariots of fire round about them on the mountains. And because of this, Elisha struck them all with blindness and took a whole army captive without firing a single arrow. Amen. Because he knew what was true in the spiritual realm. See, that's the opposite of what happened to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve at one time were living where Gehazi, when his eyes were opened, they lived that way. But when they sinned, they, they lost their spiritual eyesight and they began to be carnal and dominated only by what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. But when Elisha prayed for his servant, he was carnal and all of a sudden his eyes opened up and he began to see into the spiritual realm. 
There is a spiritual world that exists. And so I say all of this, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that with your eyes you can't see, you can't perceive. It goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, and he cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. You cannot discern spiritual things with physical senses. And God is now spiritual. And let me tell you, this is why that the disciples didn't recognize Jesus when he was risen from the dead because he, was, he still had the same body. Later in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke, he told his disciples, put your finger in, or excuse me, that's John chapter 20, put your finger into the print of the nails and thrust your hand into my side. He still had the same body. It still had the same scars. I'm sure that he had scars on his face from the crown of thorns. But they didn't recognize him. You know why? Because he wasn't physical. He was spiritual. It wasn't just an an apparition or something, you know, uh, that wasn't real. It was real, but it wasn't physical the way that he was before. And it had to be spiritually discerned. And they had not known Jesus spirit to spirit. They had only known him in the physical realm. And that's the reason that they missed him. And in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke, if you keep reading down there, he talked with them. He opened up the scriptures, explained it. They went in and while they were eating, he took bread and blessed it and began to break it. And it says that they knew him. Not knew him in the flesh, not because they recognized him based on what he... But they recognized him because they had just a few days before had the Last Supper. They had heard him bless the food and break it and share it. And all of a sudden they knew him. And it says in Luke 24, I believe it's verse 31, that the moment they knew him, he vanished out of their sight. The moment you perceive with your spirit, you don't need physical things. It's actually better to know God spirit to spirit than it is to know Him flesh to flesh. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's more pleasing to God. If you could take the report that is given in the Word of God and believe it and trust this and know it because it bears witness in your heart, you could know God in a way that most of us have never known Him. But we're missing it because we're physical. And did you know that this was not an exception when these disciples didn't recognize Jesus? There isn't a single resurrection appearance of Jesus where anybody recognized him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But every time Jesus manifested himself to his disciples, they didn't know who it was. Because they had only known him after the flesh. And now he was spiritual and he had to be spiritually discerned. Look in the 20th chapter of the book of John. This is on resurrection day and Mary Magdalene was the very first person to see him. And so in verse 11, this is John 20, 11, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener. 
Now here's Mary Magdalene, that he had cast seven demons out of her. She was one of the women that traveled with Jesus and cooked for him and gave over her substance. And she traveled with him the whole time. She supposed him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him, and I will uh, take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master. She didn't know him based on sight when he called her name. She recognized that. She knew him heart to heart, but she didn't recognize him by looking at him. Look over in the 21st chapter. It says that the disciples, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And so the other disciples decided to go with him and they had been fishing all night long. And in verse 4 it says, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Here's another instance where they didn't recognize him. Now some people could say, well, it's because they were out on the sea in a boat and he was too far away and they just didn't recognize him. But if I'm not going to read the whole story, but go down to verse 12. They, they, uh, first of all, Jesus said, have you any meat? And they said, we fished all night long and didn't catch anything. And he says, cast your net on the other side. Now the same thing happened in the fifth chapter of the book of Luke. And they had fished all night long, didn't catch anything. They threw their net on the other side and all of a sudden every fish in the Sea of Galilee got in that net and it began to break and they filled the boat and it began to sink. And all of a sudden John said, it's the Lord. Because he realized that this had happened before. And Peter put his coat around him and he jumped in the water and he started swimming for shore. And when they got there, it says in verse 12, Jesus said unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Why would this even be recorded that none of them would ask him, who are you? You know why? Because they wanted to ask him who he was. They were looking at him. And they couldn't perceive that this was Jesus. Because again, you can't discern spiritual things with physical, carnal things. This is why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that many of us have entertained angels unaware. And we don't know it because we are just looking at things in the natural realm. And you see a person and you think, well, that's just a person. But you know what? The angels can take on physical form. We had a meeting one time in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm convinced that there was an angel there. There was a guy who was a biker. He was about six foot nine, huge, and had on a leather vest and tattoos all over. You know, it didn't look like an angel. (laughs) But a big old guy, and he was the sweetest, kindest person, didn't have the personality of what you would think a biker had. And I talked to him, and it was amazing the way that he knew the word and everything. And that night, we must have had seven or eight demon-possessed people manifest and people falling on the ground. And I'd look over there, and here was that biker, and he'd minister to them. And then another one, and he was over here. He was just everywhere. That guy was anywhere in that auditorium. And after I thought about it, I thought, I must have been an angel. This biker, I don't know who he was, but he ministered to every single thing and kept order that night and things happened. And I believe God sent an angel. But you know, you look at them and you think, it couldn't be a biker. It couldn't be God. This couldn't be an angel because you've stumbled over the flesh. They wanted to ask him, are you Jesus? They were looking at him face to face and didn't even recognize 
that it was Jesus. You know why? Because he was spiritually discerned and they were carnal. They were looking, they only knew Jesus after the flesh. They didn't know who Jesus really was. And here's the clincher for me over in Matthew chapter 28. This one, this just overwhelms me when I read this. Matthew chapter 28 verse uh, 16, I believe it is. It says, and the, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. These are the eleven apostles. These are Peter, James, John. All of the apostles that had spent three and a half years with him and lived with him and knew him. And Jesus appeared unto him, and they worshipped him, but some of those eleven doubted that this was really Jesus. How could this be? They were looking at him face to face. They were staring him in the face, and they doubted that it was really Jesus. You know, the point I'm trying to get across is we think, oh, if I could have been a G one of Jesus' disciples, man, would I have been strong in faith. Nope, it would have been a hindrance because you would have gotten so used to him in the natural carnal realm that you wouldn't have perceived who he really was. And every time in his resurrected form when he was in his glorified body, people couldn't recognize him because he had to be spiritually discerned. You know what? We're actually better off. We can know Jesus better now than the 11 apostles did because we don't have the physical body of Jesus hindering us. You can close your eyes and picture Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father. You can read in the book of Revelation about His eyes being like fire and His countenance as the sun, and you can visualize Him any way you want to. You can see Him. But you don't have to deal with the physical distraction. We can actually know Jesus better than the people who walked and talked with him. If you would open up and begin to start knowing him by your spirit and get to where you start functioning in the spirit instead of just the physical realm. Who is it that wrote half of the New Testament? The Apostle Paul, who didn't know him after the flesh. Now, he might have seen him, but he wasn't as well acquainted with him as Peter, James, and John. Matter of fact, the Apostle Peter wrote about Paul's writings, and he says, Our beloved brother Paul writes about some of these things, which it's hard to understand. And those who are unstable wrestle with his writings as they do the other scripture. Peter put the uh, stamp of approval on Paul's writings that they are scripture. And he says, our beloved brother Paul. And Paul had a better revelation. He knew Jesus better than Peter did. Peter actually was succumbing to the legalism of his day and the religious pressure. And he uh, wouldn't eat with the uh, Gentiles after the Jews from Jerusalem came. And when Peter came to Antioch, Paul withstood him to his face and rebuked him for being a hypocrite and said, you knew better. You had this vision and God showed you these things and you... You gave in. You complied with the Jews because you didn't want to suffer their rejection. Here's the Apostle Paul that didn't know Jesus after the flesh as well as Peter did, and yet he knew him better after the Spirit than Peter did. You can know God better through the Spirit than you could ever know Him by a goosebump, by a vision, by uh, some feeling than 
you know, people are always looking for a prophecy. I've had a number of people come up, would you prophesy over me? And you know what? I can prophesy, but I just resist being instant prophet where you put a coin in the slot and pull the handle and God comes out. It's just people wanting me to do something. And even though I believe in prophecy and all of these things, you know what? You need to know God yourself. And the way that you come to know Him is, He's not far from any of us, but He's not physical. God is a spirit. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And brothers and sisters, here's the big problem in the body of Christ. We have let our sixth sense of faith go kind of the way of the appendix. Whatever function that used to serve, it's just dormant in most people and it's just occupying space and we don't use it anymore. And so some of us have even had it cut out. And there's people that, you know what, faith has just become something that even though God created every one of us with this ability to know things in your heart that you can't know with your brain. We don't encourage it. We actually make fun of it and look at it as being superstitious. And there's no doubt that it's been misused. But you know what? People misuse their senses too. We don't want to get rid of them. I'm telling you that you have an ability to know things. Every person in here at some time or another has faced a choice and you felt in your heart that you should do this, but wisdom seemed to dictate that you do the other and you followed the suggestion of other people. You did what you were told to do. It failed. And the moment it failed, you said, I knew I should have done something different. How did you know this? God has given everybody the ability to walk by faith, to know things in your knower that you can't know with your brain. And yet we have gotten to where we refuse to be led by our spirit. We refuse to know things on the heart level. We're trying to figure everything out intellectually and just put it in a test tube. And I tell you, if you spend any time at all studying the Word of God, you're going to miss God if you try and understand it all mentally. The Word of God is written to your heart. It's not written to your brain. That doesn't mean it's illogical. It is very logical, but you have to let the Holy Spirit guide you and you have to receive it in your heart. And I'm telling you that this, this is how you begin to start knowing God, you're going to have to realize that He's not going to show up and come sit in a chair and just talk to you in an audible voice. You aren't going to see a visible manifestation. You aren't going to have goosebumps go up and down your spine. You aren't going to have dreams and visions and revelations. All of those things can happen and they have happened, but you know what? They don't happen very often and they don't happen to the majority of people. I have never seen a vision now, I've had things in my heart, like I was describing, where I see things, but it's the same way that if you said, picture an apple. I saw it like that in my mind's eye. It's not a, it wasn't an open vision. I had my eyes closed. And the moment I opened my eyes, that goes away. I've never had an open vision. I've never heard an audible voice. I've never been physically caught up in the presence of God. And I'm not saying that those things don't exist, but I'm saying they don't happen very often. They don't happen to the majority of people. If you are going to know God, you are going to have to start opening up your heart and come to know Him through your spirit. And you can get to where you know Him in your spirit to such a degree that it's better than seeing. 
Faith is better than sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And I know some of you are thinking, oh man, I can't relate to this. But this is what God made us for. What Paul was writing of, this is normal Christianity. Today, if you begin to start walking like that, everybody will call you a weirdo. They'll say you're a hypocrite. You're a fanatic. But you know what? This is the way that God made us to be. You know, one last example, and I'll quit with this. And then tomorrow, I've got a lot of really good things to share with you about to go on from here. But I remember when I saw the show, The Passion of the Christ, I'd had friends who went to see that, and they were so touched, so overwhelmed by it, that I honestly went there praying and believing God to just have a supernatural experience. I was expecting for the crucifixion of Jesus to come alive on the inside of me. And I am not critical of Mel Gibson, you know, for making that film. Some people criticized him. Mel Gibson said himself that it, had, it was actually much gorier than what he depicted. He had to tone it down because it would have been triple X rated and nobody would have gone to see it. So I'm not critical of Mel Gibson, but here's what I'm saying. I was actually disappointed with the show. And the reason why is because what they were depicting on the screen wasn't as real as what I had on the inside. I was disappointed. It was like, man, this is, this is nothing compared to what the real crucifixion of Jesus was like. It was a million times worse than that movie depicted it. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 52, it says that he was so abused, it says that his face was worse than any man's face that has ever lived on the earth. I've had people come to me that had one guy had his nose and mouth eaten off with cancer and he had a uh, towel over his face and wanted me to pray for him and I had to make him take the towel away and, and you could see up inside of his face. Jesus looked worse than that. I had a man come to me that his eye was eaten away and cancer was hanging out here in a big ball and stuff. Jesus looked worse than that. That's what Isaiah 52, 14 says. And then it goes on to say that his form was so marred that he didn't even look human. You know, in the Passion of the Christ, it showed an abused, beaten Jesus, but he still looked like a human body. The Bible says he didn't look human. And without me teaching on this, I believe that the way it happened was that every sickness, every disease that has ever hit the human race entered into Jesus' physical body. He bore all of our sickness in his own body. Every deformity, elephantitis, every tumor, every vile thing that has ever hit the human race came into the physical body of Jesus. See, Mel Gibson didn't de depict that. All he did was show the Roman beating. And as bad as that was, that was like scratching the surface. And plus, it didn't go into the spiritual effect of it. Jesus didn't just taste death in the sense that he took a little bit of sin and a little bit of our punishment. Jesus literally became sin is what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin for us. He didn't have just a token amount of sin placed in him. Jesus became every vile thing that has ever hit the human race. Every pedophile, every homosexual, every murder, every liar, every adulterer, that sin entered into his body. And the shame and the guilt 
that all of that sin produces. Just take your worst night ever, your worst day, the worst thing that has ever happened, every vile thing that you've ever felt. Jesus felt exactly that multiplied billions and billions and billions of times over for every person who's ever sinned on the earth. Mel Gibson couldn't depict that in that show. And you know, as I was watching all of this, I was thinking, I was praying, and I said, God, this is so, um, I don't know what the proper word is, but this is so trite compared to what the real crucifixion of Jesus was like. It doesn't even, it nearly doesn't even do it justice because all it was doing was depicting the Roman beating. It wasn't showing all of these other things. And I was saying, God, what's wrong with me? Is something wrong with me? And, and he spoke to me and he said, Andrew, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have seen and experienced the crucifixion in more reality than my apostles who were there present and saw it. Because they were only seeing in the physical realm. They didn't know what I knew that all of the shame and the guilt and the sin of the world was entering into Jesus. They didn't understand that all of the sickness of the whole human race was entering into him. They didn't understand that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels and have come down from that cross. They were looking at it and they were confused thinking Jesus was defeated. They didn't have the spiritual perception. The Holy Spirit hadn't revealed these things to them. And the Lord told me, he says, you, my crucifixion has had a bigger impact on you than it had on my disciples who were watching the crucifixion until after the resurrection when God opened up their heart and showed this to them. He says, it's more real to you than it was the people who were sitting there watching it. You know, I've taken scripture and meditated hundreds and hundreds of times and the Holy Spirit has made the crucifixion of Jesus come alive. And I really believe that it's better what I've seen and experienced. It's more real. It's more life impacting on me nearly 2,000 years later than it was the people who saw it. Man, that is just some kind of awesome. See, when you start operating in the Spirit, when you come to know things by the Spirit and not by the flesh, we aren't missing anything by being 2,000 years later. We aren't missing anything by not seeing Him. We're actually having an advantage because we can know Him in the Spirit and we don't have the physical flesh standing there to hinder us from perceiving who Jesus really is. You can know God. Know Him in the sense that I've been talking about throughout this entire conference. You can know Him in a close, intimate, personal way. But you're going to have to do it through the Spirit. God is a Spirit. And if you worship Him, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And brothers and sisters, most of us are so carnal that being spiritual is foreign to our nature. But when you get born again, you now are changed. God has given you this ability, but you're going to first of all have to open up and acknowledge it and you're going to have to start entertaining something and going beyond your five senses. You're going to have to start knowing Him based on what the Word of God says. The Word that He speaks unto us, those are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. God's Word reveals things to us. And you're going to have to get to where you read it in the Word and trust what you read and start allowing your spirit to experience this. You're going to have to start seeing things by the Spirit and not see things by the flesh. Oh, that's powerful. 
I'll tell you what, if you've listened tonight, I've shared some things with you that could radically change your relationship with God. And then tomorrow, I'm going to be sharing a lot of other things that will really help you. But this is a pivotal thing right here. I don't think most of us, it's just so seldom that we see anybody who walks by faith. And because of it, we look around and just think that this is the way it's supposed to be. That we're all supposed to be depressed and defeated and discouraged and have fear and all of this. And and we're supposed to just let the physical things of this world dominate us. It doesn't have to be that way. You can walk in a spirit realm where the physical realm is not defeating you and not destroying you. You can know God in the spirit and in truth. We can walk in the spirit. You have this capability. This isn't just for the super saint. This is for every born-again believer. And man, this is powerful. But you know what? You've got to, first of all, hear somebody say that it's possible before you can even start moving in that direction. And I don't think most people even think this is possible. Most people just think that you can't know God. I haven't seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him, period. But no, it goes on to say, but God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. You can know God through the Spirit. And what a wonderful thing. And this is one of the reasons that you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You get a born-again spirit when you get saved, but the Holy Spirit comes and gives you spiritual understanding. Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will take of me and show it unto you. He will reveal things unto you. John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the, Holy, but the, which is the Holy Spirit, when He has come, will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have spoken unto you. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is not just an added blessing that gives a little different dimension to your life. It, he is essential. You need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit quickening you. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is one of the most powerful things you can do because it just makes you shut down your five senses and start operating in the spiritual realm. You know what? When you speak in tongues, the Bible even says in Isaiah chapter 28, it's with stammering lips and another tongue, and it's foolishness is what the world says. Your own mind will tell you this is silly. I'm saying gibberish. And you know what? For you to keep speaking in tongues, you have to get beyond your five senses. And you have to start operating in faith. You can't speak in tongues over a prolonged period of time without operating in faith. And that's one of the great benefits. It just forces you to move into a spiritual realm and get into a a faith realm. I tell you, speaking in tongues is a powerful, powerful, powerful gift. So if there's anybody here tonight who has never made Jesus your personal Lord, you must be born again. Otherwise, the only spiritual realm that you can tap into is the demonic spiritual realm, and you don't want that. If you are going to tap into God, there is no way to go to God except through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You must be born again. That's essential. And then once you're born again, you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's more than just speaking in tongues, but that's one of the initial gifts that functions. It's a powerful gift, and there's a lot more to it than that. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, 
that I need to be born again. I need to make Jesus my Lord 